recording is from Parramatta Christian Church. We pray that this message inspires you in your walk with Christ. Good morning, PCC. Welcome again, uh, particularly if you're joining us uh, for the first time and found your way onto our live stream. We extend a very, very uh, special welcome to you. We're glad uh, you're joining us for this service. And we trust that it's already been a real blessing and an encouragement to you. Um, uh, we're, we're continuing a, a series. We're in our second week as we come around God's Word. Uh, we've entitled the series Press On. And we're journeying through the book of Philippians. So if you want to grab your Bibles and turn to Philippians chapter 2, that's where we're going to be spending our time this morning. And uh, let me just pray and uh, we'll, we'll get into it. Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that in the midst of the challenges and storms of life, your word is an anchor for our soul. Your word is a sure foundation. Your word is light that shines into the darkness. And Lord, I pray that... As we come around your word together, that your Holy Spirit will be at work in our hearts, that you would take my words and Lord, that you would bring them alive, that they would be your words in our hearts in this time, a word in season for us. Give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying and give us hearts that are humble and responsive to obey the leading and prompting and the word that you speak to us today. So we commit ourselves to your grace and we ask that you come and uh, lead us uh, in this time as we come around your word, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Is, uh, I hope that that uh, makes it a little bit better to hear me. Just adjusting this. Well, this morning, um, we, I want to speak to you about joy. So my message is entitled, J-O-Y, joy. And that comes from a song that uh, we taught our kids when they were younger. And uh, the song, funnily enough, was to the tune of Jingle Bells, which is a bit strange. But uh, it was J-O-Y, J-O-Y, this is what it means. Jesus first, yourself last, others in between. Um, and we taught that uh, song to our kids so that they would understand what the Bible actually has to say about finding joy. And right now, for, for many of us, for all of us maybe, that's something that maybe we all long for, just to have more joy in our lives. And uh, this song tells us and teaches us how to find joy in our lives. Jesus first, yourself last, and others in between. And what's interesting is that when we come to Philippians chapter 1 and 2, as we already saw last week, we see the Bible confirming the truth of this song. And we see that this is where um, uh, this, the ideas of this song come from. Uh, last week in chapter 1, we saw Paul very much was about Jesus first, very much was about advancing the gospel of Christ, he tells us. Uh, that was his passionate commitment. We see that, um, it, in fact, uh, if you look at uh, Philippians chapter 1, the word Christ is mentioned 18 times, 
18 times in just that one chapter. Uh, we see Paul say things like, for me to live is Christ. And he said that whether it's in his life or his death, his passion and his heart was to, was to exalt Christ, to lift up uh, Jesus in, in, in the world and in his life. Uh, we see that uh, Paul's commitment to the Philippians flowed out of them progressing and advancing and growing in their faith in Christ. So clearly for Paul, it was all about Jesus first in chapter 1 and that was what he was wanting the Philippians to grab a hold of so that they too can live a life that put Jesus first. When we come to chapter 2 we see that the other two letters the O and the Y are the central focus of chapter 2. So really in summary if you wanted to kind of get a handle on what Philippians 2 was all about it's the O and the Y. It's really Paul's challenge to the Philippians to to think less about themselves to to value others more than themselves to put others first and to put themselves last in a lot of ways to to sacrificially serve others serve one another. And that's what we will see his main thrust and his main message is in Philippians chapter 2. And uh, uh, we'll see that Paul in verse 1 uh, of chapter 2 says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement. So he's continuing his theme of encouraging these Philippians to press on in their Christian faith. Even though it's hard, even though uh, they're experiencing persecution. So the therefore connects what Paul is about to say to what he has said at the end of chapter 1. He's aware of the opposition and the persecution that they're experiencing. Um, and he wants to link it back to, to that truth that because we are in Christ, because we are um, uh, God's grace, we are recipients of God's grace, and part of that grace is to suffer with and for Christ. He's saying, now I want to encourage you um, with with the truth of what it means to be united with Christ. He says. And so he's wanting to affirm all the things that they have received by being united with Christ, by being recipients of God's grace, even in the midst of their suffering. And so he says, you've received uh, encouragement from being united with Christ. You've received comfort from his love. You've received uh, a common sharing in the spirit. You've received tenderness and compassion. He wants to remind them of all the things that they have received because they were in Christ. And so with that background, with that connection to their opposition and their persecution and their suffering, he now then moves on to chapter 2 to, to apply those truths in the lives of the Philippians. And he says five things in this passage that I think will be really, really helpful for us. The first is the challenge that he gives them. And we see this in verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. Or vain conceit. See, he's just told them at the end of verse 2 that because of all that they've received in Christ uh, in, through being united in Christ, then they were to live in unity. He says, Make my joy complete by being like minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Very similar to what he says in chapter 1 and verse 27. He's really wanting to speak to the issue of some division within the church that we see expressed more fully as we go into chapter 4, uh, the tension that, that might be there uh, in the church. He's really wanting them to uh, embrace unity and having the same mind and the same heart and being one in the Spirit. And so because of that, he gives them this challenge. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interests of others. Now, I, I don't know about you, but I, I wonder if you've ever been in a situation where somebody asked you to do something that seemed impossible to you. 
Uh, I remember when I was younger and a, a youth leader early in my ministry, we used to go on lots of family camps. And maybe you've been on, on family camps to different campsites. And one of the activities that we had to do was this thing called the leap of faith. Um, and I don't know if you've seen this one where you climb up to the, the top of this massive telegraph pole and then at the top you stand on this platform and there's this trapeze bar that is hanging out just in front of you. And yes, you're in a harness and you're fully safe and you've got ropes and everything attaching you. But the, the activity required you to jump off this platform and to grab a hold of the trapeze bar that was out there in front of you. Now, I remember being at the top of that, that um, tower and standing on that platform and looking at that trapeze bar. And it seemed like it was an impossible leap. It seemed like it was, they, that's why they call it a leap of faith. It was like, there's no way I'm going to get there. There's no way I can reach out and grab that trapeze bar. And yet everyone on the ground and the instructors were saying, yeah, you can, you can. It's not as far away as you think. You can grab a hold of it. Anyway, eventually I, I jumped off and I just missed it, but my hands touched it. And it was like, it seems so impossible standing on that platform. It seems so far away. And it's a little bit like that. What Paul is doing here, you just kind of think, really, Paul, do you know who you're talking to? You're talking to human beings and you're asking them to do nothing, to do nothing out of selfish ambition and vain conceit. Do you not know who we are as humans? We are inherently selfish. Selfish. We're inherently prideful. And you're saying do nothing out of those motivations? It seems like a massive leap of faith, a massive ask. And yet, he says, don't look to just your own interests, but look to the interests of others. He's asking them to embrace this challenge that seems an impossibility. But as we go on, we, we see that Paul recognizes that this is a, a big ask. You know, we see that in verse 14, he, he uses another word, uh, do everything without grumbling or arguing. Again, he's using these absolute words, do nothing out of selfish ambition, do, uh, do everything without grumbling and complaining. It's like, wow, this seems like such a big challenge. And then he gives us in this second section from verses 5 to 11, he gives us the ultimate example. So not only is Paul issuing us this great challenge, but he's giving us the ultimate example of Christ. And to encourage these Philippians to, to tell them that, hey, th that bar is not that far away. He gives them the example of Christ to encourage them. And in that process, he writes this song or poem of Christ's humility and his sacrifice and his death, which many would argue is probably not just the high point of Philippians, but the high point of the New Testament. It is one of the, one of the grandest, most beautiful, epic declarations of the deity of Christ, the humility of Christ and the work of Christ we have in all of Scripture. And Paul tells them three things about Jesus that he wants them to emulate, that he wants them to, to imitate and to follow. And he says this in verse 6, Christ, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. And in verse 5 he said, in your relationships with one another, so again we're talking about unity and how they were to relate to each other, have the same mindset of Christ Jesus. What is that mindset? Well, it's the mindset is one that doesn't hold on to your own interests. 
a mindset that is willing to let go of things that are to your own advantage for the sake of others. Um, and we see Christ. I mean, this is mind-blowing. He, he was the, the, the Son of God. He was divine. He was the, the creator of the universe. He was reigning and ruling in, in majesty and in power, living in glory in heaven. And we're told that he was, he was God himself. He was equal with God. He was co-heir. Uh, he was reigning with God. And he did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. He was willing to lay aside his own interests, his own privileges, his own rights as God to to come and to serve us. Uh, Incredibly powerful being this willingness to lay aside your own privileges, lay aside your own advantages. Um, There was an interviewer, he was talking to uh, a a really successful job consultant who had been able to place hundreds of employees in, in, in their jobs really, really well and successfully. And the interviewer asked him what his secret was. And he said this. He said, what I do is I give potential candidates privileges. Privileges. He said, with responsibilities, you can give people responsibilities. But, you know, if you pay someone enough, they will fulfill any responsibility you give them. But he said, privileges tell you a lot about the person. He said, if you give them privileges and you observe how they handle them, you can determine what kind of person they are. He said a, a real leader will use their privileges for the benefit of others and for the, the well-being of the organization. But a lesser person will use those same privileges to advance themselves and to promote their own name. This is what Paul is wanting them to understand, that Jesus had all of the privileges of being God and he was willing to lay them aside for us. And that is what the Philippians were supposed to emulate. The second thing he tells him about Jesus is rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. He's telling telling them that when Jesus became incarnate, when he was born in that manger, Jesus took on the form of a servant. Now imagine that, the creator of the universe becoming a servant. The creator of the universe who could come in his power and glory and majesty and would have every right of having people serve him. And even Jesus said that in Mark 10, the Son of Man has not come among you as one who demands to be served, but as one who has come to serve. Now again, we need to spend a little bit of time here because a lot of people think that this means that Jesus stopped being God, that Jesus emptied himself of his divinity. That's not actually what's going on here. Um, what, what Paul is trying to get at is that Jesus never stopped being divine. But what he laid aside, or when, when it says he made himself nothing, or some other translations say he emptied himself, what he emptied himself of was his privileges and the rights that he had as being God and as being divine. And he took upon himself the very nature of a servant. And again, we need to be clear here is that Jesus wasn't pretending to be a servant because notice that Paul uses the exact same phrase in verse 6 and verse 7, being in very nature God and being the very nature of a servant. So to put it bluntly, to the same extent that Jesus was divine, that to the same extent Jesus was God, he was also a servant. So Jesus and and the Greek word taking there, doesn't mean a replacement, that Jesus was giving up his divinity to take on humanity or to take on the nature of a servant. It means adding to. 
So what Paul is saying here is that Jesus, when he became human, added to his divinity our humanity. And not just our humanity, but the humanity of a servant, became a servant. Think about this. John chapter 13, the creator of the universe is down on his hands and knees washing the feet of his creatures. That's what Jesus demonstrates. It's kind of like Mark Twain's The Prince and the Pauper. Many of you would know that story. The prince never stops being the prince, but he becomes a pauper to walk among his people. And that's what Paul says that Jesus is doing here. The divine, eternal, immortal, glorious Son of God, God himself, takes on the form of a servant. But Paul goes beyond that. Jesus goes beyond that, he says. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. This is the humility of Christ. And Jesus demonstrates his servanthood ultimately by laying down his life on the cross for you and for me. He humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. You see, Jesus' willingness to, to lay aside his rights and privileges as God, Jesus' willingness to take on humanity, to become a servant, to serve us, was expressed in his willingness to pay the price of sacrificing his life on the cross for our sin, for your sin and for my sin. Now, if we're honest, many of us wouldn't have a problem in serving others until it costs us, until there's a price to be paid, until it affects us somehow. Uh, there was a story told about a missionary who was in a relig- who was uh, going through a, a religious festival in Brazil, and he was walking through uh, the festival, a bit like our Mind Body Spirit Festival, and was observing all the different stalls. And he came to this stall that had a sign above it that said "Cheap Crosses." And he kind of thought about that and he said, yeah, that's what we all want as Christians. We want cheap crosses. We want easy crosses. And then he said he was challenged because of this thought that he said, my Savior's cross was not cheap. So how can I expect my cross to be cheap? An old English preacher said this, ministry that costs you nothing accomplishes nothing. And I think that's such a challenge to us. And this is the point that Paul is wanting the Philippians to embrace. That sacrificially serving others will mean sacrificial cost to us. It's got to cost us something to serve our brothers and sisters. And that's what Paul is wanting to challenge these Philippians. Because he's reminding them. He's reminding them that, you know... In the midst of your persecution, in the midst of your suffering, it's easy to focus on yourself. And and that's something that we need to acknowledge. You know, people say that in in your moments of crisis, when you're under threat, your your vision becomes very narrow. It becomes very tunneled and you you become very, very self-focused, self-oriented. And sometimes to the neglect of even people that you love dearly. I want to confess to you a really embarrassing story that I'm not proud of. And uh, that was many, many years ago, again, when I was a youth leader. And uh, we were at a camp and a whole bunch of young people came at me. And some of the youth leaders came at me with a whole bunch of bananas. Uh, they, they came with these disgusting things, peeled and squished and squashed, and they came running at me. Now, that wouldn't have been such a problem other than the fact that I was holding ebony at the time. But like I said, in that moment of persecution and opposition and personal attack and threat, I dropped ebony and I ran for my life. 
And that's what Paul is wanting to speak to because we're all a little like that. When we're threatened, when, we're, when we are so aware of the challenges we're facing and the difficulties we're experiencing and the hardships we're under, that it's so easy to be self-focused, self-preoccupied and go into self-preservation mode where we can just, all we can see is our own need and all we can see is what we want. And maybe that's what was happening with the Philippians, that the persecution and the opposition they were experiencing had led them to just think about themselves, their own interests, their own needs, had, had caused them to, to grumble and to argue and to, and to bring division into the church. And Paul is saying, follow Christ, follow Christ who embraced his cross, who was willing to pay the ultimate price of laying down not only his privileges and his rights, but became forever human. He added to his divinity, became a servant, washed the feet of his creatures and laid down his life to pay the price for your sin and mine. Follow his example. Now again, if you're you know, like me, and maybe you're not as carnal and fleshly as me, but if you're anything like me, you'd probably be sitting there going, come on, Paul, not only have you put out this challenge, but you've given us Jesus as the example for us to follow. I mean, yeah, come on. We, we all want to be more like Jesus, but we're all so aware of how far fall we short of that standard. That, that bar, that trapeze bar, seems like it's moved even further away, Paul. You're saying not only are we not supposed to do anything out of selfishness and pride, but you want us to be like Jesus? Come on, He was perfect. He was God Himself. Surely that just seems like such a, a hard reach. But Paul then says, yeah, maybe he's aware that how difficult that might be for the Philippians. And so the third thing that Paul does is give them some up close and personal examples to follow. He gives Paul, he gives himself, he gives them Timothy, and he gives them Epaphroditus. In verse 19 to 30, he gives them these human examples for them to follow. And in chapter 1, you know, Paul has already demonstrated to the Philippians his example. He's in prison, he's in chains, and he's thinking about them. He's praying for them. He's thinking about the gospel. He's thinking about them progressing in their faith. And so Paul has already given uh, his life as an example. And even in our passage, he makes this reference in verse 17. He says, even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering, that's sacrificial language that Paul is using there, referring to the Old Testament sacrificial system. And then he talks about Timothy, who is a fellow so soldier. Verse 22, he has served me in the work of the gospel. Verse 21, he demonstrates what Paul has been teaching. Everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But, but, um, but Timothy is not like that. Verse 20, 20, I have no one else like, like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. So he says, remember Timothy. You know Timothy. And he is a physical, up close and personal, living, breathing example of the kind of life I want you to follow. Think about Timothy and then Epaphroditus who brought the Philippians gift to Paul, who, who came to Paul to serve Paul, to minister to Paul. You know, to take care um, of his needs, verse 25 uh, tells us. Um, think about Epaphroditus. You know this guy, and you know that he got sick. And Paul tells us um, in, in the latter part, in verse 30, he almost died for the work of Christ. Sacrificial language again. He risked his life for the cause of the gospel, he tells us in verse 30. To help Paul on behalf of the Philippians. And so Paul gives them these living, breathing, up-close and personal examples for them to emulate. 
And so I want to ask you, church, if, if trying to be like Christ and emulate Christ and follow Christ seems like a bar that's too high, a trapeze bar too far away, then maybe find people in your family at PCC, in the broader Christian community that reflect the values of Christ, that reflect the heart of Christ, that reflect the servanthood of Christ, the sacrificial, selfless love of Christ, and follow them. And this is what Paul asked many of the churches to do. He says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And so I want to encourage you, you know, find people that are up close and personal, that reflect to you and demonstrate to you the heart and the, and the life of Jesus and follow them and imitate them and learn from them and, and, and ha- get them to mentor you and encourage you so that you can become more and more like Jesus. So Paul has put out this great challenge He's given them the ultimate example of Christ. He's given them other human examples for them to follow up close and personal. And then in verse 12, um, sorry, in verses uh, f- 15 uh, to 18, Paul tells them the outcome of living this way. What will happen as they live this way? And he again says three things will happen. The three things will flow out of uh, them living their life this way. Firstly, he says they will be witnesses. He says, so that you may become, see that notice the so that, do everything without grumbling and arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, that you will live as children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then, there's that connection word again, then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. You will shine among them. Kind of picking up Jesus' uh, teaching in Matthew 5 when he says, "Let your do your good work so that People will see your good works and glorify the Father. You will be salt and you will be light when you live this way. And so Paul is picking up that same language and saying that as we imitate Christ, as we display selfless, sacrificial love to others, we will be a witness in our generation. And can I say that I I don't think there's anything more powerful as a Christian witness than selfless, sacrificial, loving service of others. Uh, Let me illustrate this. Um, They say that Mother Teresa was the only or one of the very, very few world-renowned, well-known Christians who was never ridiculed on Saturday Night Live, who was never made a sketch of, who was on any interview that she's been on or any TV portrayal of her was never um, ridiculed in any way. And I think it's because this is true. I think because of her life, her witness of selfless, sacrificial love and service to others, people recognize that as a genuine expression of true faith and true spirituality. And so Paul is saying that when we live this way, we will shine like the stars among a crooked generation. We will be children of God. We will be blameless and pure in a in a warped and crooked generation witness witness the second thing paul says will be a, an outflow of our living this way is our, our boasting and paul says this in verse 16 he says as you hold firmly to the word of life because paul has served them and he says then i will be able to boast on the day of christ that i did not run or labor in vain that he will be able to um, celebrate uh, God's reward and God's acknowledgement on the day of Christ. And again, this is what Paul says about Jesus. He says in verse 9, Therefore, 
because Jesus lived this way, sacrificially laying down his life, suffering and dying, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that in the name of, at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So you see, in, in the Christian worldview, it, it, to follow Christ, we, we know that it's upside down. Jesus demonstrates it here. The way up is down. And Paul says here that without death, without suffering and death, there can be no resurrection. That is the pathway. And even Jesus said, he said, it is those who humble themselves that will be exalted. It is those who lose their life that will find their life. And so Paul is saying, rest assured that there will come a day, the day of Christ, when you will be able to boast, you will be able to celebrate because you will hear your father say, well done, good and faithful servant. And you will be able to celebrate with God as you've lived your life to serve others and to glorify the father, just like the father glorifies the son and the son's desire, we're told, was to glorify the father. We too will share in that glory, we're told, and the father will honor us and commend us for living this way. The third thing Paul tells us, and this has been the the central focus of my message, is joy. We will have joy. And again, this incredible mystery in the, in the Christian faith that as we give ourselves, we are blessed even more. As we give of ourselves, as we sacrificially serve others, we receive so much more. And notice what Paul says, that we receive joy. Verse 17, he says, Even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, and notice this, I am glad and rejoice. Two joy words. With all of you, so you too should be glad and rejoice. The same two joy words, with me. Paul uses the joy words four times in two verses to illustrate this truth. As he pours out his life in sacrificial service to the Philippians and others, and as the Philippians do the same in their service and sacrifice coming from their faith, both Paul and the Philippians will live and experience God's joy. Joy, what a wonderful truth. And I want to challenge you, I want to encourage you as you're dealing with your own stuff, your challenges, your your difficulties, your burdens, whether it's sickness, whether it's uh, death in your family, whether it's the challenge of homeschooling and working from home, whether it's working really long days, as I know many of you are doing 10-hour days, and all of these challenges, and then the the isolation and the loneliness and, and the challenge of being cut off from relationship and community, as you're going through all of those very, very real challenges, can I suggest to you on the basis of Philippians 2 to consider how you might be able to bless someone else, how you might be able to sacrificially serve someone else. Because I believe that in that moment, you will experience the joy of God, the delight of God, and it will bless and refresh you. The last thing Paul says is that, again, like we saw last week, the assurance that we have as we continue to press on. Make no mistake, living this way is hard. Uh, To do nothing out of selfishness and pride is hard. To do everything without complaining and grumbling is hard. To be more like Jesus is hard. 
But here he tells us in verse 12 and 13, the great, great hope and the great assurance we have is that God is at work in us. He's already told us this in chapter 1 and verse 6, and he reminds them again. He says, therefore, and notice it's immediately after he's just told them to be like Jesus. He says, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, how much more in my absence, continue, there's that press on word, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, with reverence for God. Verse 13, this is the reason that they can continue. This is the reason that they can press on. For it is God who works in you to will and act in order to fulfill his good purpose. And that word works, the Greek word is energy, power. So he's saying that God gives you the energy to even desire the things that God wants and to actually act and to do the things that God desires so that you will fulfill his good purpose purpose be encouraged friend you don't have to do this on your own you don't have to do this in your own strength because God's energy and God's power is at work in you but notice that Paul says we're not off the hook he says continue we are to continue to work out our salvation in reverence and in fear he, he says that we are to obey we are to hold firmly verse 16 to the word of faith we still have a part to play but it's not in our own strength it's not in our own striving it is by the energy and the power that God gives and one of the other things that I love here that Paul does he says my dear friends as you have always obeyed not only in my presence but how much more in my absence and right now all of you are absent in one sense, we are absent from you. Your, your connect group leaders are absent from you. We as leaders are absent from you. We're not there to, to supervise you, to police you, to monitor your behavior. And Paul is saying, but you know what? If we understand this truth, if we let the, the love of Jesus and the model of Jesus and the example of Jesus transform our hearts, then we won't need external motivation we won't need the fear of our leaders or what the pastor thinks or what our connect group leader might think to change our behavior what we will experience is the inner transformation of the work of the spirit in our heart because we've come to know the love of jesus for us and so while we're scattered while we're not able to meet together while we're not able to encourage each other in person Paul's hope, my hope, our hope as elders and leaders at PCC is that you would be so transformed by the gospel of Jesus, by his love for you, by his serving you as the creator, laying his life down on the cross for your sin and mine, that we would be so changed by that, that in our isolation, in our separation, we would commit to trusting the work of the spirit to transform us from within to make us more like jesus as he's promised to do and we will continue to hold firmly to the word of faith to be obedient to work out our salvation so that we can bring glory and honor to god in our generation in our time that we can be witnesses we can shine like stars we can be examples of this selfless sacrificial life that will truly honor jesus and if you're not yet a christian I want to encourage you that God loves you and this is what Jesus has done for you so that you can become a child of God, so that you can be forgiven and brought into relationship with God. And if you have yet to discover that, you've yet to surrender your life to Jesus and, and, and receive his love and forgiveness in your heart, I encourage you, reach out to us. Contact us by email. Contact us through our website so we can reach out to you and love you. And if you are a Christian, if you're a part of PCC, I want to ask you, do you want more joy in your life? 
Do you want to experience the fullness of joy that God wants for you? If that is a yes, then J-O-Y. Jesus first, yourself last, others in between. Why don't you bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment and then I'll pray. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We worship you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Father, we thank you this morning for the example of Jesus. But not just the example. We thank you for the work of Jesus. We thank you that he laid aside his glory, his privileges, his authority and power as the divine son of the living God. And he came, became human, became vulnerable and frail and embraced our suffering and served us and ultimately laid down his life for us on the cross. Father, you know that in our challenges and circumstances, it's so easy for us to be consumed with our own needs, to be self-focused and to preserve our own well-being. God, I pray that as a church that you would so transform our hearts by your love for us displayed on the cross that we would love each other this way, that we would be able to live up to the life that you're calling us to live. Lord, of not doing anything out of selfishness and pride without grumbling and complaining, but to do it in a way that displays your love to each other and that we would honor you and glorify you as we live this way, that we would be a witness in our generation of what Jesus' love looks like, that we would be a, a living, breathing, up-close and personal demonstration to our neighbors, our friends, our families of what Jesus' love for us looks like because we are embodying it and living it in our generation. And Lord, I pray that you will fill us with your limitless, abounding joy as we live our lives this way. Lord, as we pour out our lives like Paul did as a drink offering, that, Lord, you would fill us with joy everlasting that will continue to, to motivate us and empower us by your spirit, by your energy. Lord, working and living in us, the Holy Spirit, Lord, that we would know his presence and his power to enable us to continue to live lives that will honor and glorify you. In Jesus' name, I pray. for listening to the Parramatta Christian Church podcast. To hear other sermons or to find out more about our church, please visit our website at pcc.org.au.